Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sports Business Take. This is episode four. I'm your host, Paul Hine. I'm here with my great co-host, Zach Creekmore. Today, we got a pretty full lineup for you in terms of stuff we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about an interesting new MLB development that really happened a couple of weeks ago, but um, it's an interesting new technology and experience um, aspect to the game. And that's just a little teaser. We'll get to it. Uh, the Women's World Cup, which kicked off this week, about 3 a.m. our time on Thursday. And the USL relegation and promotion system or the potential that they might have one. And for those who don't know, um, United, wait, United Soccer United League. United Soccer right? League, yes. US, yeah, okay. Um, I know you work there, uh, but a lot of a lot of people – may not necessarily know what that is because it's not at the necessarily forefront of uh, sports so or yeah. American sports. Yeah. So. This might change it all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to get people to start watching the USL. Um, we have MLS confirming the league is open to sovereign money and um, is welcome to that type of money investing in franchises. And also the Washington Commanders officially become the most expensive American sports franchise to ever be sold. And they might possibly change their name again, which is pretty interesting. Um, And then, of course, our segment sports quotes of the week. So we get a lot today. Let's uh, let's start with the MLB develops a VR ballpark. Um, So basically what this is for anybody who hasn't heard of it or seen it. And I know I just totally I totally just rocked my camera by tapping the table with my knee. So I'm sure that's going to be a, um, a great experience for the viewers, but uh, MLB developed this virtual reality ballpark. So essentially they created a VR version of the celebrity softball game in the all-star weekend. Right? So the celebrity softball game is a tradition. They get a bunch of X players that want to play um, alongside professional softball players, as well as a lot of rappers to, you know, fashion people to your influencers, whatever you want to name type of celebrity, big names go to this thing, right? Like I think Quavo has played in it four (laughs) times. So, you know, that's the type of people we're talking about. So for them, it's a, it's a huge deal. And, you know, while it may not get as much viewership as, the normal all-star game and um, a lot of people don't pay attention to it as much. This is kind of a a cool idea that they implemented with it that might uh, kind of change something going forward. So what it is, is their VR ballpark was a social app and they experimented with it during this all-star weekend. And basically you can go into the stadium on a headset, right? You have your VR headset on, you walk into the stadium you see not only the game going on in real time, but you can see and hear other, well, you can't see other people, but you can hear some of the reactions of other people, depending on where you are in the ballpark. And it makes a very lifelike feel. And there are um, technologies out there and games out there where you can do something similar, like walk into stadiums, but not really in a way that you can experience an actual live game, you know, um, it's more of like I have a VR headset and I have this game called win reality and you can walk into their stadium and hit against a pitcher. Right. But that's you doing it. It's not you watching other people doing it. 
So this completely changes the landscape of a, how we think of VR experiences. Um, so that's just me rambling a little bit, but what did you think of this when you saw it? Yeah, really interesting. Um, I can see it definitely being something that could be applied and adapted um, and really like changing that here's this new generation type thing like we talked about next week. How do we change and evolve to how media is consumed? Um, VR is definitely one of those things where people are interested in it. It's unique. It's inventive. It's talked about as that next big thing. Uh, we talked right. about Meta, Facebook's big pushing into it. Or It's a growing now. segment. Apple right. just came out with their VR headset, which is going for like three grand a pop or, or something ridiculous. <laughs> but as Apple always does. Right, right. Um, but it's definitely a growing segment, so I could see why sports might want to dip their hands into it, you know. Right. Have it have that extra extra outlet. Here's another thing that we can do, another thing we can show. Um right. way people can can enjoy, get a different experience. And the way you described it as that. This is something unique that probably not everybody will do, but you hear about it and you go, hmm, I might want to check that out. Hey, maybe right. I that can't. could be a cool maybe experience. I, maybe I'm from a different country and I want to go watch a baseball game, right? Here's a way that I can, can go and do that without traveling. Without going overseas. Yeah. It's, you know, funny enough, we actually get a good amount of international people at the Sea Dogs. You would be surprised. I had yesterday, uh, I had like probably a group of 15 British people. Wow. That that were there, and I was talking to them a little bit. Um, I remember I picked a couple of guys for a game one time. It was the lobster toss. So basically, like, it's not worth explaining the game, but you know that's a main thing, right? A lo- right. Lobster is a main thing. So I said to the guys, "Where are you from?" They're like, "We're from Scotland," and I was like, "Wow, wow. you guys came a long way to see a baseball game." And they were like, oh, we were here, but we thought we might as well check it out, right? Mm. So um, you definitely can see international interest in um, in American sports. And I think this is – I think you're right. This is kind of a new way to experience uh, in that aspect, uh, international interest. And it's not just uh, a new way for that. It's a new way to interact with the game, mm. but possibly also with other fans. You know, They could take yeah. it a step further and say – you know, let's not just do this so that you can interact with the game and watch the game, but you can also interact with other people while you're doing this and talk to other people while you're doing this. Maybe somehow put a microphone capability in it, right? And make it more of like a social media, but in but in real time, you know? Um, yeah. It is digital, but it's also real, you know? Um, there are... So there are headsets, right? For like gaming, you could do a similar concept for VR, attach like a gaming mic to a VR headset, and then you can make it completely interactive, right? Because sometimes, uh, and especially with baseball, one of the good things about going to a park is you get to interact with other people there, right? Um, just a personal story. I remember I went to a Red Sox Yankees game for the first time in my life last summer. I was talking to the guy next to me. He was probably about our age, a few years older. And he had a Derek Jeter jersey on. And I'm like, I'm like, man, you're you're taking a risk walking around with that Jeter jersey, huh? And he's like, Yeah, especially being from Mass. I'm like, you're from Mass and you're wearing a Derek Jeter jersey. But the point is you can interact with other people at games in a way that isn't really um 
can't really be replicated, right? And I feel like this is a way to replicate it without people having to spend the hundreds of dollars on tickets and the food there and all of that sort of stuff. No, that's a very good point. And I really like what you said about that community and how you can create communication through that and really develop that and say, here's another way to have a fan experience, communicate, sit down to the next person next to you. And maybe they're from another part of the country, right? But like, for example, I'm somebody from Connecticut, maybe somebody's from Ohio and that we're both on our headset and we're sitting there and we're like, we're both watching this game, experiencing this in an entirely new way and able to have a conversation. That's something that's really special. Exactly. Right? And, and, and that's the type of stuff that creates memories for people for a long time that, you know, you can produce in sports that, that doesn't come out of uh, most other things. Right. And this is just kind of a vehicle, right. Kind of a new vehicle to produce those memories. And they don't have the technology, like what I was talking about perfected where you can interact with everyone like on a social level. Right. But you could definitely apply the concept. Right. And I think if, if this was going to be a long-term thing to stick in the sports world, that's how you would apply it, right? You would make it not just a digital experience where you can see what's going on in the game. Obviously, it's not going to be entirely realistic, right? It's not live video. It's a simulation of what's going on in the game, but it's happening in real time. Um, you know, obviously, VR is a simulation. It's not... Usually, you can do video with it. There are capabilities that, like, Apple's producing that capability with their new headset, but... And they could do that, right? They could say, oh, we're just going to plug in the video into a VR experience and then also add the social aspect into it. Or they could have it um, in a simulation. Like, I believe this was a simulated thing, uh, like, like graphically. But there was um, a live aspect to it where all of the things that you were seeing, the people moving and stuff, it was happening in real time. Um, so you could definitely take it in a bunch of different ways, which is kind of why I wanted to talk about it to you. When you hear this, like, what do you think outside of what I mentioned could be a possible idea of like an offshoot of this, like or an application of this? That's hard. I think, I think you described it really well. I could really only see it going to being that really big fan experience. Um, but outside of that, like maybe they go and they make a, be a Boston Red Sox experience, right? Go out on the field, walk out on the field. Like maybe they make it into tours, something like that. You're doing a tour of the stadium via VR, or maybe you're. Wow, tours hadn't even been something I thought about. That would be really cool. Tours would be interesting. I think you could also do like you always watch a game from in the stands. How could you get somebody on the field? You know yeah. what I mean? Like watching. Yeah, no, I get you. Would be interesting. That type of thing. Maybe they're and it... actually as the players. Like, yeah, I know you point of view stuff. Too. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And it doesn't just even apply to baseball. You could do it with anything, right? You could do like a point of view of an MLS player, right? Mm. Um, and, and that's kind of the concept of VR in, in the sports world. You know, like there's like that app I mentioned earlier, when reality, that's kind of the point, but it's usually not like a live experience. You know what I mean? Um, so they could make it a view like you were talking about. I was just thinking MLS um, because we're going to talk about soccer a lot today. So they could make it like a live view in, in virtual reality of an MLS player running on the field. And you could choose who you wanted to follow 
on the team. And I know like we're for, like that technology doesn't exist right now, but I'm, I'm just spitballing. I wouldn't, I don't know how to develop that technology. <laughs> maybe, maybe someday it's possible, but there's a, de- there's a bunch of different ideas and applications that you can take off of this and say, Oh, this could totally change the fan experience going forward, regardless of the fact that it was just for the celebrity softball game. Mm. Absolutely agreed. Well said. I know we're like super far ahead of this, but do you think <laughs> I'm like, this is like my idea session right now. Like this segment is my like totally like my, like what is it going to look like in 10 years? Right. So what do you think would happen if they could apply this concept to regular season games and people could have, decent access right they wouldn't have to pay a lot of money i i know vr headsets are pretty expensive as it is right so let's say the price of vr headsets went down it was easier access to it and you could actually watch regular season games and playoff games in a vr experience do you think if it was more easily accessible like i'm saying Mm. would the viewership on regular television go down would people not attend as much because they could choose to do this. It's a totally new concept. That's hard. That's hard. And honestly, if it was like, if the entry entry level price of a VR headset was to drop, if you were able to just say, okay, I'm going to do this. Right. And you buy that VR headset and you go and you watch every game as if it's a, in live, in-person experience, you're experiencing it as it happens, right? And that's that five-second delay, and you're as if you're sitting in a chair. The first thing that, when you suggested that, I was like, okay, selling out the stadium twice, really easy, right? No problem. But Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, sales goes through the roof. Right. But that also affects TV viewers. If pro teams are listening, we're trying to make you money right now. (laughs) Sorry, I totally cut you off. No, you're good. But, like, does that affect your TV revenue? TV revenue goes down. Does that affect your ad sponsorship? How do ads get thrown into that live experience if you're doing that in VR? That's true. I I mean, I guess you could line up the ads with the commercial breaks, right? Exactly. Like, would they be able to create VR commercial breaks? And would their VR stadium advertisers be different than the ones in person? They could totally sell sponsorships that would be completely different. Right, and the, it'd be a completely different way to to create more revenue streams. <laughs> totally, it, it's it's definitely really cool. I can definitely see it affecting TV viewership and affecting in person viewership if it gets that right buy in from the from people from people interested. From yeah. if you're looking at soccer from say the ultras or the really big yeah. large fan bases, um, yeah. but. <sighs> I'm not going to lie. If it was in our budget, I would totally, I would totally propose this idea to my boss. (laughs) (laughs) And I think he would love it. I think he would love it. Probably. I mean, I don't know how we would get it done. Like I I can't develop the technology. All right. Yet. Yet. Okay. I could learn the skills, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, no, I think that'd be a really cool application of it. Like the things we talked about, there's so many different possibilities that could open up from uh, using this technology. And obviously we're not software developers, so we don't (laughs) actually know what's capable. Um, But if you combine somebody with that technology uh, knowledge with maybe somebody 
in our sports organizations, right? I was I was gonna say in our position, but we're interns, so I'm not gonna say that. Um, <laughs> maybe at that. a higher at a higher up level, right? Like um like a, an executive of a team, or uh, maybe a, a media head of a team. I think it's possible. Mm. I think oh, it's absolutely. definitely possible. Okay. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say on that, or are we good? I enjoyed that brainstorm. I, I'm, I'm like in a whole, like, oh my gosh, there's way too many possibilities. I have too many things. Fine. I know, I right? Like, I'm all good. The gears are, <laughs> the gears are so much turning right now. Yeah, it's, exactly. I'm going at like a million miles an hour. And <laughs> I hope I didn't talk too fast. Um, no, no. Okay. We're good. Because I was just like in my head, and yeah. I know people listening are gonna hate that sound effect, but whatever. It's just what I felt like. <laughs> Um. Okay, so let's move on to the Women's World Cup because I know I know you're super excited about it. So, do you want to start us off on that? Yeah, totally. Um. So of course, Women's World Cup started this week. Really excited. Australia, New Zealand. We've got 32 teams for the first time. Really, really cool. Um. Women's World Cup media and sponsorship rights, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, are now being sold separate from the World Men's World Cup for the first time ever. Um, and the sponsorships too. And the sponsorships too. Yes. Good point. Yep. Um, so really, really cool. That's huge progress in my oh, like major, major, major progress because it's, it's not an add on anymore. It's its own separate entity. Correct. Which as we talked about two weeks ago, really sets it apart and really helps women's game develop as it's been growing in these last two, three years as, as, right. as it will continue to grow. Right. right. Um, when we talked about it two weeks ago, we did mention the European blackout possibility, what was going on with that. Um, Update on that was resolved. FIFA and the European Broadcasting Network, which includes BBC, um, for example, and your other major broadcasting networks for countries, Britain, Spain, France, Germany. Italy, right? Italy, yes. Italy was the fifth one um, for those five countries, and that was all set up. Undisclosed fee, so... What would be like the, the U.S. equivalent of that? It's not an ESPN or a Fox Sports. What would be like the I, ESPN I'm channel? NBC. NBC? Okay. NBC. Okay. Uh, yeah, NBC is the English or American. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Exactly. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, uh, so that was resolved. Um, so kicks off. Able to watch it on Fox Sports in the U.S. if you haven't yet. Games are late night, early morning, but they're worth checking out. If you're not watching the highlights, it's, it's worth seeing. Um, Japan ripped it up the other night. USA had a good 3-0 showing. I wasn't impressed, but hoping to expect and see more as we go forward. Um, right. I wish I was so, able to watch this week, man. I was at the ballpark all week, and it's that's a great thing. But you know, our our games are at night too. So, and it, we had some games this week that were in the morning. So, like, I went some late night to early morning games. Like um, yesterday, I I probably got home at like 10 maybe 10 30 i don't remember and then this morning i had to leave for the ballpark at like nine something so that's a tough turnaround yeah it was it was worse on on wednesday well not worse it's a good thing i'm sorry it's a good thing (laughs) but in terms of sleep i'm a very sleep dependent person and (laughs) thursday morning was challenging Um, (laughs) or maybe it was wednesday morning we had our camp day um so like that's all the summer camps uh, and by the way, if you want to hear like 5,000 kids go to a camp day game, 
um because that's pretty I much can, all the, it's like how insane that is it's like 85 percent kids um <laughs> and actually you know what the uh the camp counselors did a really good job helping us um not control them but um what's the right word make sure they had fun right right uh in a way that was safe cohesive for everybody yeah and um I mean, you, you had to make it like that because just for one example, we had uh, 350 kids from Scarborough, Maine, in one area alone, the picnic area. So there, there was a lot of people there, but that was an early, that was an early game. It was a 12 o'clock game. I had to be there at like uh, 10, I think yeah. maybe it was two hours. No, early it was, no, it was earlier than that. I don't even remember what time I had to be there. Cause it's, it's been a, it's been a long week, but um, <laughs> I got home the night before at like 10 30 or 11. So <laughs> yeah, the, the late night viewing for me has not been on the table this week, <laughs> but I definitely will. Now that we have this week off, we have two weeks off. So I'm, I'm going to watch in the women's world cup now for sure. Um, one of the things about the women's world cup this year that kind of struck me was the women's world cup is projected to generate 500 million, but only break even. And that's viewed as progress. Yeah, and it's it's hard. FIFA has pumped a lot of money into. That's this. according to FIFA president Gianni yes. Infantino, by the way. And, and everything he says is never accurate, but it's they were hoping to make six hundred, seven hundred million. Um, you're looking at forty million at least in prize fund money, and that's not that's for just the winner of the World Cup. You're talking right. that goes down and goes spread it throughout with the rest. You're talking about stadium prices. You're talking about these countries paying for it. So uh, it, it is, it's an expensive outgoing. Like if you look at the 2014 Brazil world cup, for example, and this is me talking about the men's game, not trying to take away from the women's world cup in any way or form, but they built seven new stadiums and the country overall went into debt to fund the world cup. It costs, billions of dollars right to create the infrastructure and to set it up and make sure everything runs smoothly with two countries doing it australia and new zealand for the women's game it kind of divides that up more more safer and more responsibly kind of like money wise for the country um, yeah but it still is a big outgoing it's expensive and you don't I saw, get all that money back i saw that the broadcast rights are worth less though because the tournament is like in australia and new zealand meaning the game time's uh, aren't favorable in the U.S. and Europe, right? Well, correct, right? Because it's, like, for me to go and watch a game, like, I'm waking up at 3 a.m., waking up at 5 a.m. If I wanted to stay up and watch a game, it's at 1 a.m. Right, it's not right? convenient. So it's not convenient to at least the eastern side American viewers. Um, if we're talking New York, Boston, etc., West Coast might be a bit different. West Coast might be a bit different, yeah. Right. They, they've got that extra three hours, so they're only staying up till 9 or 10 to watch the first It'd game. It'd still be inconvenient for Europe, too, though, right? Correct. Because they're, they're more similar to us than the West Coast. Correct. So for, for Europe, we're talking they're five hours ahead of us in England, specifically. Um, hmm. So... Uh, a three a three a.m. is an eight a.m. game, but that's during the work day. So there, again, it does it definitely impacts it when you're looking at times uh, time zones and all that stuff, uh, which is sad. But also, I I wouldn't hold that against the two countries being in the Pacific. 
uh, for anything bad. I think it's no, no. Uh, I feel like that's almost yeah. an uncontrollable thing. You yeah. know, it, it's just kind of a side effect of where the location is. Um, and I'm so sorry to interrupt. I like I just wanted to go back a little bit because I realized what I said about like the whole camp day thing probably could be viewed negatively. So what I <laughs> what I really what I no, meant cover was your cover your bases. Do what you need to do. Okay, I'm not like covering anything, but <laughs> I, I probably phrased it in the wrong way. What I what I meant was um, it was an early morning game, right? So I didn't get a lot of sleep, but um, I don't mind having those days, right? So like it probably sounded like I minded having 5,000 kids <laughs> in the stadium. I, I don't. I like when we have 5,000 kids in the stadium because there's more, honestly, there's more opportunity for cool memories. And, you know, it's a different type of atmosphere, which is definitely something that is enjoyable. And it's something where the kids are probably not necessarily more into it. Right. But there's, there's more attention there. Right. And it's definitely a unique experience. And of course we love having thousands of kids in our stadium because they are the next wave of fans. Right. And we want to, we want to develop that fandom in them. And, you know, that's kind of our mission. Um, and I probably didn't convey that when I <laughs> was talking about it before. So I'm sorry. I just wanted to backtrack a little bit there. No, and I, to, to add on to that. I absolutely agree. And me as someone who's worked in soccer camps, works those camps, that type of thing. It can be hard uh, working with, 350, even 5,000 kids, right? They're high energy. They have a lot to give. That's just an estimated of, number, but I don't know as how an adult, many Right, person. to be yeah. able to meet that and to, and to handle that. So, right. like, managing a game and working a game where you have that energy is awesome. It's amazing. It's great to see. It's great to have. We want them there. We want that environment. But after a 10-hour <laughs> day, going and waking up at 8 a.m. in the at, at 6 a.m. in the morning, get to the field, be ready, set stuff up, take care of people, make sure everything's going right, help create these special memories. It can take a lot of a person and that is absolutely okay. That's that a great way that's a great way to phrase it. I don't think I could have phrased it better <laughs> than that. Um but yeah, sorry, we can keep talking about the women's world cup. I, <laughs> I just felt like I had to go back and, and because it's not a bad thing, and I, I probably made it sound like a bad thing. It's not at all. Um, it's a great thing, but it's, you know, it's the camp nature of it makes it early morning, which I don't mind, right? But um, I, I was just meant that the late night game to early morning transition can be interesting. Oh, absolutely. Um, I've had a because, couple. You know, there, are, there are days like, I feel like I'm living there, you know, like 24 <laughs> hours. <laughs> Which is, it's not a bad thing. I'm learning a lot, right? Like, I'm learning a lot while I'm there. It's not, it's not bad. Um, but let's no, keep talking awesome. about the Women's World Cup. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, um, you're good. I like, I like this tangent, okay? I've spent multiple 12-hour okay. days at the Westcon Stadium this summer. It's awesome, but you're working with referee crews. You're working with teams. You're, like, for me, I do both media and game day management. So I'm running up and down flights of stairs for 10 hours yeah. straight going yep. up between the press box, back down to the referee's room, right. back down to the field to go and take photos and videos, right. then back up to the press box 
to get music going so we have music over the field like oh my gosh it takes a lot out of me it's a long day right and, and, and by the end of the, the day on the night game oh right. my gosh it's gone by the end of the day you're <laughs> satisfied you're happy that you created a good experience but you're also like you know i'm gonna go get some food and relax for a little bit <laughs> you know exactly. um so do we do we think going back to the women's world cup do we think that them breaking even is progress for the sport or do we think that it's kind of just mediocre um kind of at a standstill good question right in my opinion i think there's absolutely progress to see the women's game be able to generate its own funds on its own account is huge. I think in years I agree. Past, the reasons it was sold as a package deal was because it was probably bringing in negatives, right? Where it wasn't actually in any way positive or neutral or profitable. So, so breaking even is it. progress, even though it doesn't actually seem like it because it's not a like a positive number. Correct. Growth, growth in terms of sports as large as it can be and as large of a growth as we've seen in the women's game and soccer in the U S and pickleball and all these other sports, as we've seen growth is quick and great, but at the same time getting money involved in that growth outside of just it being social media and eyes on your games, that can be hard and it takes time. So it's these small steps that create a large package and create that historical storylines and historical growth and strength and power if i was watching a movie the other day and it's entirely off topic but i was watching bbc That's or billionaire's fine. boys club right okay what they promised originally in the film in their story is 50 percent returns on your investment that's not maintainable right you can't no. sit there and tell an investor every day all right give me 5k i'll give you 10k in three weeks yeah, that's, it's not that's it's not gonna happen over a large amount of time. No. You may that you may end up that way for a little while, but it's not gonna happen forever. Um and you know the fact that they are for the first time becoming their own thing, their own entity, mm. and are gonna break even, that's not a bad thing. No. That's honestly a good sign, even though it's not like a positive number it means that they can stand on their own and without the men's game. Right. Yes. And, and that in itself is progress. And I think if they can stand alone and I believe they can, mm. then they will grow more and start to have a positive number because they're starting to grow more fans. That's just a fact. Right. And we've talked about how much more interactive sports is now than it was 20 years ago. When did they start? Like the 90s, right? It was like the yes. 90s. The, the, yeah. So 25, 30 years ago. Now it's way more interactive. So you can grow your fan base easier. Although there are more things in the world to pay attention to than there were 30 years ago. But it's definitely easier to create a investment from a fan in your league and in your team absolutely well said um so in, in total agreement with you this small part and we've seen the growth of women gain 26 to 50 percent in the last two years right i think this is a yeah, small, that's that's wild right that's this is a large growth good. 
and it's going to maintain. But this looking at the this looking at how it's worded and how it's said of the just breaking even, making five hundred million. That doesn't tell the full story. That's a huge growth. No, that's fantastic right. for the women's game. Fantastic for the women's World Cup, and hopefully it will continue and stabilize to a respectful and a, right. a be a good competition that people want to watch. I know, like for me myself, I think this is the first time I have ever actually watched a women's World Cup group game. This is the first time I've watched anything outside of the final. Right, and you're a big soccer fan, so that's that's saying guy. something. So I think. This growth, the way it's been pushed, the way it's being communicated, the way media is working for it, and the way, like, for example, I got a Soccer.com article, and I'm a Soccer.com sponsor. Not, don't, don't worry about it. But it's got okay. a woman on the front, right? That's not something I've seen before. Not something I've received before in the mail, right? So I think it's going to see a lot of growth. We're going to see great things come out of this. And it just breaking even doesn't tell the story, doesn't communicate that. No, that's it's not the story. The story is them the standing on their own. Years. Yeah, sorry. I, I cut you off. But it, the story isn't them breaking even. The story is the fact that they're standing on their own. Exactly. Um, although it's because they are now uh, their own thing, it's not a perfect system yet. Um, I saw a tweet that some of the practice fields being used in Australia and New Zealand are cricket fields. And not you know real soccer pitches, which mm. isn't exactly cohesive to a good practices, right? Like good preparation for athletes, but also may or may not be safe for for soccer cleats. You know, you could different surfaces are made for different things, right? So yes. one surface may react to a soccer cleat different than a, a normal pitch would. Mm. So as far have you heard of any injuries resulting from that? Because I haven't. I have not. I have heard of injuries in training, specifically referencing to uh, Sam Kerr. Of I think that's the right Sam Kerr. Yeah, I know. Yes, Sam Kerr of Australia. Um, but injuries in practice, strains that are lower body based. Um, but that's not normal. In uh, that's kind of normal in soccer. You pick up an injury in training from time to time, and you miss right. You're out right. for, especially when you're playing year-round like these professional players are. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think the cricket fields is a reference back to the infrastructure thing I was talking about, where it, yeah. building the infrastructure Definitely. for a World Cup where you have 32 teams which all need to practice field probably once, twice a day, and allocating that time and finding the fields where it's near their hotel, it's kind of a bit more private, it can be secluded. That's a lot of infrastructure to build and develop. Um, hopefully throughout this tournament, we don't see more injuries happen and occur um, in trainings and in stuff like that. And the fields work out, but it definitely is something that I haven't heard about, but it's a good thing to point out of, okay, this is an infrastructure issue. It needs to be built upon maybe something that can change the future world's cups when we're getting that profit in and right. they can really invest in it. Right. They're still getting their legs under them. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to say it's a colossal failure of, you know, planning or whatever but it's definitely something that should be thought about um like you said i think also it's partially a commitment of wherever they're happen to be playing right has to commit to being able to provide the facilities for these athletes to train and live safely while they're there um so 
I'm not going to say that's a failure on the country's part either, because I think it's, you know, it's the first time that this is really happening by itself. So Mm. they're still kind of figuring things out and that's understandable, but that's definitely something that in the future I think should be addressed. Oh, agreed. Well said. And thank you for pointing it out. I I didn't even heard about that. So good. I I wish I, I wish I could source the tweet, but I, I didn't save it. So I don't remember who's who tweeted that out i I remember it was a reporter i just don't have the tweet bookmarked um so let's stay on soccer uh do you want to talk about the u.s relegation promotion stuff or do you want to talk about mls first let's do usl relegation promotion system then mls i've got i've got a you got got a whole spiel on u.s US relegation Uh, and promotion system all right let's hear it so USL, United Soccer League, I work for ACC, AC Connecticut, and USL2. Um, this is out. This is going to be, as of right now, in the way it's described in the article I read, USL2 will be outside of this relegation promotion system. Um, but that is still up. Oh, so you won't be affected by it at all. As to my understanding team. of the article, but that can totally change when they vote, right? Right. So the concept is, if you haven't heard of relegation promotion, you're a big US soccer fan. I know I have, Paul has. Um, right. In theory, you've got your bottom three teams when they, at the end of the season, those bottom three teams get demoted to the next division. The top three teams of that next division would get promoted to the top division, right? So you see this in the Premier League, the championship, Serie A, Serie B, League 1, League 2, um, Bundesliga, the Bundesliga 2, right? All of these, uh, all of these leagues that particularly in Europe with soccer and it creates a really interesting dynamic. And you see these teams that bounce up and bounce down teams that bounce up and stay up. It, it, it creates really investment in not losing. So like, for example, the it Antonio creates almost Spurs, a better attachment for a fan. Yes. Very true. Like there's a reason why you shouldn't want your team to lose now. Right. Right. Outside there's of just incentive. like, I want my team there's to win incentive behind well. it. Oh yeah. Right. Like, for example, for me in football, I'm an Atlanta Falcons fan. We haven't been that hot in the last couple of years, right? Do I really care that we haven't been that hot and we're losing? There's nothing at stake other than like we're right. being – Other than you're not winning Super Bowls. Exactly. There's nothing at stake for us being out of that conversation. But you would care a lot more if they were going to get sent down to a, a lower or less prestigious league or whatever. Exactly. I would care a lot more if I was going to see my team – genuinely removed from this competition that I really enjoy watching. Right. right. So if they vote this in, if they vote this in for the USL, this would be, I believe the first time a promotion relegation system would be implemented in us sports. Yes. That is my understanding and and my belief, um, which is huge. And it's for me as a big soccer fan, it's something I've cried out for from us soccer and something that I say us sports is missing because as we saw this year, the Antonio Spurs, and we can say they sacked their season to go for Wembenyama, right? Because maybe mm-hmm. they did, maybe they didn't. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to call names and, and say right, things. right. But, We're not here to do that. But there's a possibility that, like, okay, there's really a cost if you're going to do that. There's um, incentive for teams not to tank their seasons. Exactly, it's incentivized. It makes it more entertaining. It makes emotional stories where if a team stays up on the last day of a season, like 
everybody's rushing the field. For example, Everton this year were on the brink of relegation at the end of the season. This is Premier League soccer. And they stay up due to multiple different results, Leeds losing, whatever, Everton getting a win. It creates a lot of drama. It creates drama. It creates storylines for these teams that are at the bottom of the league, and it really makes more to talk about. It makes it more entertaining. It makes it a lot more fun for me as a fan, for players playing for those bottom of the league teams, right? You have something to fight for. You want to stay in this league. You want to represent this club. You want to do the fan bases right. Um, You're right. It's something that U.S. sports is definitely missing. There there have been mergers of leagues, right, but nothing to the point where um, leagues are coordinating with one each other or, or one another, sorry. Um, like the ABA and the NBA merged in the seventies. Right. But you know, it wasn't like if an NBA team uh, was awful, they got demoted to the ABA or if an ABA team was great, they got promoted to the NBA. It was just a merger. Um, And I believe the way that they decided that was like something like the top four teams from the ABA that year um, were able to advance to the NBA so maybe for one year we had basically a promotion system, but yes. but it hasn't been implemented long term, right? No. So I think it could add a new dynamic to American sports that we haven't really seen. And I wonder I think a US audience would appreciate that, but I don't think it's something that you could implement into necessarily one of the major four sports quite yet. Uh, I think a USL level league is a good place to try the concept out and see how it does in America. Agreed. And we're getting into in a minute, why it wouldn't work in those four major leagues include actually five major leagues, including the MLS. Right. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. Right. But USL relegation promotion, they're going to vote on it in Colorado at their ownership conference in about a month. I believe it's mid August. Right. Um, my boss from ACC is going, so it should be should be really cool. And I would love to see the USL2 get involved and create this really – USL2 is technically outside of professional um, soccer in terms of that. It's pretty professional considered, um, which makes it semi-pro. Uh, so US, we're talking USL1 and the USL Championship. And then out of the championship, they're going to take and make two leagues, one that's slightly higher and one that's in the middle – uh, based on performances, that's what next season is what's suggested. And we will see what ends up happening, what ends up getting voted on, and how it ends up working out. But it'll be really interesting to see, like, okay, this team's rising, this team, and, and see how it works in U.S. sports, the U.S. fan base, with a whole country involved in it. It's a good test. It's a good test. It's a good way to do it. And this is a way USL is going to signify and set itself apart from the MLS and from other sports leagues and really create these special relationships between fans and special rivalries that aren't like, all right, whatever. I don't know. It's how I feel about American sports in general of like, it misses a certain. If you have a bad season, if you have a bad season, there's no consequences, right? You just feel bad about your team. Exactly. Um, So there's no, I think making it, making it incentivized can be a good thing. um, But also, Owners don't really like that, you know, because they have a lot to lose if their teams do poorly. Correct. But that can also be a good thing because then it gets owners more invested in their teams. Instead of looking at just the bottom line, they're looking at 
who's actually performing well and how can I make this team better? And it helps them manage it better, right? Helps them sign better players and the overall product improves. So there are multiple different sides of it. Um, I think I'm obviously we'll have to see how they vote on it, but I think it'll be an interesting test to see how it translates to uh, an American audience. Yeah. Strongly agreed. I'm super excited for it. As you can tell, I can't contain my smile and my yeah, I got I you. I'm like, this is gonna be so cool, right? Right. Um, but as you said, it's something we haven't seen in America. It really incentivizes not only the audience, but incentivizes those that work in the company, um, and incentivizes the ownership to really get involved and to invest in the team, right? We saw Newcastle United, for example, was bought by Sovereign Money, uh, which we'll talk about the MLS investing in and talking about it. Yeah, we um, we should get to that soon because we will. One we're one we're, run, we're <laughs> running hot today. We got we got 45 minutes in and we're like halfway through. Yeah. Um so that money and they invested in Newcastle a lot. Newcastle are now in a Champions League club going from a relegation side, right? So it really creates these interesting storylines and things where companies and ownership groups are incentivized to invest and to really make it about how good can our team be? How good can this be? How can we make our team great? Um, moving on to the MLS, the reason MLS and other major sports leagues can't do this is the amount of money it's going to people invest into these teams, right? So I believe, and I'm don't quote me on this because I'm probably wrong. One of the recent MLS expansion fran- franchises, I believe, was Sporting Kansas City. I might be wrong there. It costs them five hundred million dollars to get an expansion franchise. Whoa. Right. And now you're going to tell me, now I that paid you $500 million, seems... dollars, you're going to demote me to another league? I paid that actually kind of seems low to me. The, the $500 million kind of seems low to me compared to what we're going to talk about with what the commanders just did. But um, but yeah, I understand what you're talking about. It's, it's a huge investment, right, by the owner's part. And if you get relegated, then it, it takes a hit in your profits, right? Yeah. So it's a big risk, but it also can come with great reward. Right. So it really uh, is going to be interesting to see how it translates. Right. And it's, I think it's not something that we can say for sure. It's going to work or it's not going to work here. It's not like that yet. Mm. Um, It's just something that we'll kind of have to see what it's like after the test run. Yes, exactly. And so Totally agreed. It's going to be really interesting to see. Um, But the MLS confirming they're open to sovereign money really, in my opinion, says, okay, let's take a step away from this. Um, By sovereign money, we mean Saudi Arabia, um, these countries where it's they're sovereign, sovereignly ruled. So I first thing I think of is Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, UAE, like all these things. Right. That's that's basically anything. uh, Any country with a monarchy. Right. Correct. Correct. Okay. But when you're talking, when, at least in soccer, when you're talking sovereign money, you're talking Middle Eastern, Middle Eastern oil money, big like billions, billions of dollars in network. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be like Middle Eastern countries, like you know, not to discriminate. It could be anybody um, with sovereign money. But I, one of the things that I thought when I saw this was that kind of changes the whole dynamic of maybe media relations right or mm. um how things get put out to the the public right uh 
in some other countries they're and I'm not you know I'm not naming countries, but in some other cultures they're not as willing to talk about their business deals, right? Um with the media as we are here in the US, right? It's kind of a private thing. It's entrusted to the leaders, but it's not really put out to the public. And that's not really how it works here in the US, right? And you know, owners can talk to media about their um like GMs can talk about their transactions, but also owners can talk about, you know, why they changed this certain thing about their product, right? I wonder if that would change if there was sovereign money. Would we see kind of a filtering of information? Possibly, right? Um, we talked. I talked about the Newcastle takeover. There was a big filtering of information, right? The people that own it, people that are involved, there's a, a bit of a cloudy shadow. It seems a bit sketchy. It comes across that way. Um, and it's hard to read into and hard to know where is this – like, if you talk about Man City, the question is, where is this money really coming from? Where did they get that extra $100 million for that contract, right? They don't know. We don't know. It's a bit more under undercover. It's, quote-unquote, sponsor money is how it's talked about. Right. Um, so it, it definitely means that, yeah, maybe we're looking at a change of culture and how business deals are communicated. It's less public, less talked about, more okay, here's this information, this happened, undisclosed fee, undisclosed deal, they're not right, going to We're not going to answer a bunch of questions about somebody coming and talking on it. their behalf. Yeah, like we're not going to answer a bunch of questions about it, like from the owners. Correct, exactly. From the owner's right. perspective, it's a bit different, a bit different of an approach. They generally have somebody who's there on their behalf, who does the press conference, they're not there. They might be coming and do an appearance in the stadium. Like, for example, right. the PSG owner made his second appearance in the last – he's owned the club since 2011, 2012, something like that. He made his second appearance ever at the stadium this year. Wow. Right? It's a big statement. It says a lot. Yeah. Um, I think one of the questions that comes to mind in the hypothetical we're talking about with the media being more filtered is – do we think American fans will stand for that because we're so used to having access to being able to ask questions of people who own these teams and who run these teams? And great question. Here's the thing. When Do someone think there's pouring gonna be... billions of dollars in your sports franchise, I don't think you really care about how it goes about. Nor do you True. care about being able to ask that question. They're, pouring, they're spending billions of dollars on you. True. But, you know, I feel like in America, uh, our fans are – not necessarily more con- more connected in social media, but they're more – I'm not going to say plugged in because that's not the right word, but I think we're more plugged into what uh, the transactions are like, mm. and we kind of uh, understand that, right? So I don't want it to reach a point where it's like um, American fans are being made to feel dumb no. because of – certain information being filtered out of press conferences or just press conferences not happening. Right. And how does that change the landscape of media? And yes, we're talking about a hypothetical, right? I'm not saying that's going to happen because sovereign money is getting invested. That's not entirely true. Right. It could be completely fine. And, you know, that's something that we'll have to see. Um, I saw in the same article that we're, that we had read that the NFL 
had thought about this, but is holding off for a while. And yeah, I think right it's, call. I think it's to see kind of how the MLS does with it. Right. right. Um, because you don't know how an American audience is going to react to that. Very true. And completely agreed. Completely agreed. It, it, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see not, and, and this is not the MLS saying we're going to have sovereign money in the league tomorrow. Right. This is the no. saying we're open to it. We're welcome to it. If it happens, it happens. Right. right? And that's completely okay. We're completely comfortable with it. And I think it's really interesting to see how that adjusts to an American audience who is more used to that open communication. Like what we're just about to talk about with Magic Johnson and the Washington Commanders, right? Very open about this ownership group, how things went. Extremely things open. Are, what what the plans are, right? What's going to happen. And something that's not going to be like that, uh, it's a bit more difficult, right? A bit. It, it walks a narrow line. Um, and right. It, it'll be interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think you actually just had us have a great transition into our next topic. Sure. Um, so the Washington Commanders officially become the most expensive American sports franchise to ever be sold at $6.05 billion. And I put million on the dock. That's a typo. <laughs> and they might change their name again. So the NFL owners unanimously approved the sale of the commanders. Um, part of the first, I want to talk about a lot of, about a lot about the name changes, because I think that's kind of the bigger part of the story, even though it was sold for the most ever of an American sports franchise, which is wild, but it was predicted to be that. So we've kind of known that for a while. Right. Right. But the part of the story that I thought was interesting was the name changing, right? Part of the name change originally was because of threats from sponsors or partners to end their deals. If the name, the former Washington Redskins, right? If that name wasn't changed because um, people viewed it as offensive. And so they changed their name to the Washington football team as an interim uh idea right while they were kind of trying to figure it out just so that their sponsors wouldn't pull out of their deals right which is understandable and you know people they didn't love that right in terms of uh, they loved the fact that um it wasn't offensive anymore but they didn't love it being bland right the washington football team that's hard to be like a fan right um and then they changed it to the commanders I think I think that was two years ago, and there was a great rebranding, right? But right. how many rebrands can a franchise a franchise go through before a fan base doesn't even know who they're rooting for anymore? You know what I mean? Uh, this would be basically their fourth team name in the last five years if they changed their name again. And the article said they would uh, maybe start talking about it next year. The Direct quote from Magic Johnson, which you alluded to, was, we will see where we are with the name he added, but I can't say that right now. We're going to spend this year understanding what we have in place, and then I'm sure that'll come up. The commanders, the name of the team, will come up eventually, but right now we got enough work to do that will keep us busy. So it's not changing this year. Right. But do we think a fan base is going to be adaptable to a fourth name change in five years? That makes it very hard to follow in my opinion agreed agreed very very hard to follow and it's kind of leaves me speechless of saying like wow that's this has created a domino effect with like are they in an identity crisis like do we 
as a fan, am I in an identity crisis? That leaves that leaves me asking those questions as a fan. If right. I was a fan of that team, right? Uh, to me, it's the, it's the new ownership group wanting to put their fingerprint on the franchise, which I understand. I get that, but uh, I think the fact that they're waiting a year to do it is is wise, or to have the conversation is wise because people can now just kind of start becoming fans of the commanders because they've established themselves as that, right? They're not, right. they weren't changing <laughs> at least until um, the possibility that that came up right now. I don't know if they can necessarily survive another name change, but be as profitable if they undergo another rebrand, you know, mm-hmm. and, and maybe it creates new opportunities, it's possible, right? If that's something that, um, you know, we don't own these places, right? But if that's something that their models say, like, this might project out to be a good thing, then go for it. But, you know, as a fan of, like, a lot of historic sports franchises here in New England, right? Right. I don't know if I would be able to go through four name changes and still identify with what I'm rooting for. Right. Right, like if the Patriots had changed their name four times, I don't, I don't know necessarily what I'd be rooting for. Right, right. Um, and you're at that point, you're kind of rooting for the players that are on the team, not not, not even necessarily. Right. For, this is who my grandparents supported. This is who my right. dad supported. Because it's I'm, there's I'm no there. tradition, right? There's no yes. there's no tradition around it. There's no um, not that there's no hype. There is hype because it's new and it's interesting, but at the same time. There's no track record, so you don't know what you're getting, right? Yes. And I think that's kind of the risk, right, of doing a name change. But then there's also the possible reward of, oh, maybe people will like that brand better. Um, yeah. But I think four and five years is a lot. I, I, I do agree with you there. Four and five is probably too many, but part of – rebranding and getting a new name and changing it so you maybe have your fingerprints on it or maybe because you really don't think this will really catch on or this isn't what we want to want to be right that's part of creating a history like getting that new getting a new name that you think really says this is what we stand for this is who we are right outside of what a what the washington redskins are what the guardians have been what the commanders are. I don't know why I'm referencing Cleveland there, um, <laughs> but well, because that was that was the other major story of a name that had changed in the last few years. Yeah, but they're brought up in the same sense, right? What are we going to be for the next fifty to hundred years? Are we going to be the commanders? If we are, right. great, let's do that. I think that's what they're going to take this next year to figure out. But no, I, I get that. If they, if they change it. Well, hey, we're trying to become the next big franchise where we have a hundred years of history, just like the Patriots do. They had a name change originally. They that name selection in the early times was difficult. So, right. making that happen, it's not something we see in sports today as often as we have those major. No, absolutely names not. I like I can't many changes. Right, I can't think of an example from our lifetime where it has happened this much. Right, mm. the other major example of a team changing their name is the Cleveland, the former Cleveland Indians changing to the now Cleveland guardians. That was one change, right? That wasn't, that wasn't three changes, right? Meaning four teams in, in five years. And I I just wonder, and it's something we'll have to see, right? It's, I can't give you a definite answer on this right now, but it's, 
will the fan base be able to handle that? Will they be okay with that? And that's just not a question we can answer right now. We'll have to see. But I thought that was what kind of made the story interesting. Oh, agreed. Absolutely. A, a, a fifth name change in six years is not only unheard of in our time. Four, four and five. Four, well, four and five is what's already happened, right? No, the, no this, this would be the, the fourth. Okay, okay, got it, got it, got it. This would be the fourth, right? So four and five, not only unprecedented, unheard of, but like, holy moly, this is insane. Like, it's just, it's, it's a mind-blowing thing to happen and for them to talk about it because it's something that's going to be asked about with this franchise anytime someone new comes in, right? Right. Like, it is what it is. Something that I really hope doesn't happen. I think they've done a good job with changing the commanders and I think it is a good brand they can push I, with. I think it fits the city them. too, right? You know, think yeah. about Washington, D.C. That's our that's our kind of military capital, right, yes. of the country. And, and I don't mean like it's, it's super locked down. I just mean like that's where the commander-in-chief lives. You know, that's where kind of uh, a lot of the generals reside. So like the commanders make sense, right? Yeah. Um, and I think we would have to maybe see the new proposed team name to be able to understand whether it would be a good rebrand or not. Mm. But I think Commanders fits the city well. I agree. Um, and so I don't see any necessarily reason to change it other than maybe the new ownership group just feels like it's not theirs, you know? And, and that's possibly true. If and they don't it, feel like I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing for them to feel that way. Mm. But I don't know if their fan base will agree with them. And I, I think that's true because it should be, we are this, we have been this, we're going to be this going forward. We're all here for it. We're all in support. You bought the Washington Commanders. Right, right? but you it's up in the air. Washington, whatever you want it to be, you bought the Washington Commanders. Right, right. And you certainly don't want to have to go back to the time of just having it being named a football team, right? <laughs> um, and yeah. while that was okay temporarily, that's not uh, you know, a long-term solution. And I feel like when you're trying to figure out these name changes um, too fast, right? Uh, I'm not saying that was too fast. It wasn't. But four and five years is enough where it's um, kind of getting to the point where people can't follow it as much, you know? Right. Uh, so that's probably why it's a big deal. I think that's about all I, I have on that. I don't know if you have anything else. I don't know if there's anything else I can add other than – who do we want to be? Who do you want to be? I feel if they do four and five, I'm identity crisis. That's all I can think of. <laughs> yeah. I hope, I, I hope they you're not wrong. Them. You're not I wrong. Hope, I, I, I feel like, That's all I, I feel like, I feel like it'll grow this year because it's now kind of established as a brand, right? The commanders is, you don't think of the Washington football team anymore. You don't mm. think of the former Washington Redskins anymore. You think of the commanders. So the fact that they now kind of have a brand established should be able to help them um, grow this year. And hopefully it'll be enough to prevent another name change. Agreed. Hopefully it will be. We'll, we'll have to see only the ownership can decide only actions can speak. A lot of changes coming, but hopefully changes in, towards good things, right? Towards right, great, right. Which is a lot of what Magic Johnson talked about when he took over. He wanted 
to see this team winning a uh, Super Bowl in the next 10, 15 years, right? He wants to invest in that and be part of that and create history with this. So hopefully we can see that develop and see great things happen. Absolutely. Uh, let's get on to our sports quote of the weeks, uh, sports quotes of the week. Um, <laughs> so mine was from a major league baseball manager, Scott service, the manager of the uh, Seattle Mariners. And this, he said this after one of his players, Jared Kalnick, who was a very highly touted prospect and is having a, a breakout year this year after having a couple of down years, mm. his, this, uh, prospect Jared Kalanick, well, now major league player, former prospect, broke his foot kicking a water cooler because he was frustrated. <laughs> so, service said, I think it's a learning lesson for him, for all players. Players get frustrated when they're not getting the results they're looking for, but you've got to be able to control your emotions, and that's part of being a professional. Last night, he let it get the best of him, and it affects all of us. So, when I hear that, there's a lot of different applications of that, right? Mm. So the part that resonated with me was about controlling the emotions, right? Obviously, as an athlete, you need to be able to focus in the moment and not let your poor or amazing performance get the best of you. You kind of need to be somewhat level-headed in order to stay focused, um, in a lot of situations and particularly in baseball, right? For hitting, it's an ultra focus concept. So if you're thinking about how badly you did in your last at bat, you're not going to be able to do well in your next at bat. Mm. And, um, it can get frustrating, right? You know, it's a game of failure for sure. Right. You know, to be considered good, you're hitting 300, which means you're failing seven out of 10 times. So it's an extremely frustrating game uh, in that sense, but you also have to remain focused. And it's it's hard to balance that. But outside of sports, I thought this had an interesting application where um, when he talks about being a professional, right, you can apply that in working in sports to not just playing sports, right? If a customer is giving you a hard time, right, or um, – is making some outrageous requests that uh, you just don't have um, the capability of satisfying mm. in your organization, then you just have to remain calm and you, you can't, you know, treat them with any type of contempt. You have to be extremely polite and you have to explain to them, um, you know, why the situation is the way it is and ask them how you can help them, um, and if there's anything else besides that, right? So those are kind of like the three basic concepts. But I thought you could apply this con this concept of um, controlling your emotions, right? And being a professional, specifically being a professional, and apply it to working in sports, right? Because not everybody is going to be happy with your product at the end of the day in, in sports. Not everybody is going to be happy with the experience that they get at the game. The goal is to create the best experience for everyone, but you know, you can't guarantee that. But when you, what you can guarantee is that you're going to treat them with respect and that you're going to um, treat them like you would want to be. And I know this is such a cliche, but <laughs> like you would want to be treated if you were in their position, right? How you would want somebody who 
you are trusting this experience to, to take care of you. Right. And that's kind of the goal that we have in uh, working in sports is to provide the best experience and be the most professional we can while also making it the most fun. Well said, beautiful interpretation, beautiful, beautiful take. And you're absolutely right. Um, Emotions, anger, joy, they're what makes humanity and people beautiful, but also they're what makes us make us human, right? We make mistakes, right? We jump on the wrong ship. We jump off the wrong bridge. We get excited and we raise the roof too much or we get angry and we throw a punch, right? But being able to control that and not kick the water cooler, as the quote references, right? That's crucial to not only communication, it's crucial to relationships, it's crucial to everything you do. And as you made in sports and business and anything, right? It's crucial to be able to control that and turn it into something where it's saying, I'm in self-control. I'm able to respond respectfully, appropriately, and professionally and being the best that I can be to help that person be the best that they can be and try to satisfy them, even though sometimes you can't, right? Yeah. But leave them satisfied with your Sometimes you can't make everybody happy, but you can do the best you can to try, right? And And you can, you know, ask is there anything else that we can help you with? Right. And you can accommodate. That's, that's the word I was looking for. You can accommodate to the situation and adapt to the situation, even though you may not necessarily be at a hundred percent of where they want you to be. You can meet them, right. You can compromise. And, And I think that's a very useful skill in our industry in particular. Oh, absolutely. And, Entirely off topic, but you made me think of a quote from Apple's service project, which I was on a couple weeks back, okay. that we meet people where they are, the way they are, how they are, right? And applying that to this, it's so appropriate, right? How can we meet this person and what they need and try to accommodate and accomplish greatness for them, accomplish greatness with them? And that's what yeah. I think is we try to do every day as sports professionals. One hundred percent. All right. Do you want to? Do you want to talk about yours? Yes. Um, so my a little bit less deep, but I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the New Zealand uh, women's football team. Allie Riley, um, one of their players, when New Zealand made history in their women's FIFA World Cup opener, they won their World Cup opener. I believe it was their first World Cup game and also their first World Cup win in a little bit of a upset over Norway. Um, so they. She said this, we wanted to inspire young girls, young people around this country and around the world. And I really think we did that tonight. Anything is possible. Uh, Not really anything I can go in deep here, but really beautiful to see a team have a goal, meet that goal, accomplish it and create stories and and share their passions with everyone else. And I, I really wanted to give her and the whole New Zealand team a shout out and congratulate them on their win. Um, And looking forward to seeing more great things for them this world cup and more great quotes from their team and people involved. Agreed. I think I can take this one, one step further. So I think basically that this is kind of the point of why the women's world cup is going to be able to thrive as its own separate entity, Mm -hmm. right? Because of it piques interest in um, young women that, think, oh, now I can actually do this and have it be a productive thing and I can make a living off of it. And, you know, really, maybe I can do this, right? You know, yeah. it becomes, it opens up possibilities that weren't there before. 
um, before it was packaged together with the men's cup. Yes, absolutely. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. We can see so much come from this women's world cup. We can see so much come from women's sports. We can see so much come from everything that we talked about today. Um, so really, really, really great point. Well said. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. I think we had a really good pod today. Yeah. Um, I think this is probably a good place to end it. Um, but next week, I want to. I'll talk about with. I'll talk about this with you off air. I want to see if we can try to get a guest on next week. So I can we'll, make it happen. We'll, we can make it happen. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, we'll make it happen. So just to tease all of you, be looking forward to that. Um, and as always, go follow us uh, on social media at. Oh my God! Why did I uh, forget our SBT ads? At SBT underscore podcast, podcast on Instagram, and SBT dot pod twenty three on TikTok. Yes. I don't know why I always blank on that at the end. <laughs> That's not here for man. Back you up. <laughs> I got you. All right, guys. Have a good week. See you soon. Ooh.